everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant Podcast. Today is another installment in our series, It Changed My Life. Today I speak with Michael about the passage that changed his life, which is Psalm 139. Now this is a great conversation about songwriting, about parenting, and about honest prayer. I really enjoyed it. Michael has so much wisdom and depth and vulnerability in this, and I really think you're going to enjoy it as well. Side note, I do have COVID right now, and so the conversation Michael and I have is over Zoom, and so that's why the audio sounds the way it does. Um, The audio both technically and my voice sounds like this because I have COVID. Now, stick around until the end of the episode for an exciting announcement about how you can be involved in next week's episode of the Coastline Covenant Podcast. We have a fun idea. I'm excited to get everybody involved, um, get all the listeners contributing. And yeah, but you have to wait to the end of the episode to hear that. So enjoy this conversation I had with Michael, and we'll see you next week and every single week after that. Well, hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast, special because we're doing it remote, except I'm remote. Michael, my guest is in the office. I can't be there because I have contracted COVID-19 for the second time this year, which is exciting (laughs) because two years ago, I didn't even think I'd get it once. And now I've gotten it twice. And so um, I'd like to thank the person who gave this to me. I don't know who you are. I don't even think you know who you are, but um, I am sick. Megan is sick. Uh, it's been a really weird week. Our wedding anniversary is uh, today by the time this comes out. And so we're like, oh, what do we want to postmate for our anniversary? I had COVID on my 30th birthday as well. And so it feels very similar to you know, big milestones, you have to have COVID. But I'm talking with Michael who had COVID recently as well, like last week, right? I may be the one that gave it to you. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't we weren't think I really around you. each other. No, Megan brought that up. She's like, well, could it have been Michael? And I was like, no, I actually didn't see Michael at all because you were at camp after I got back from camp, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you were you were leading worship at a camp. Where was that? It was that Angeles Crest Christian Camp, which is in the yeah. mountains above Pasadena. Is it nice going to a camp that's so close? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. so it's... Here's what's weird about it. It is close, but it's also like um, the furthest away from like civilization of any camp that I've gone to because a lot of camps, they're up in like the Big Bear Mountains or, um, you know, Arrowhead area. And so to go to a supermarket is like a five minute drive. This camp is like you're, you're out there and you have it's like a 45 to at least an hour drive to get to any like gas station. So it's in the mountain like at that point you could just go back to LA. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you would be doing. That's crazy. Um, and so you're leading worship. How often do you do that? Do you lead worship for camps? No, I, I wouldn't say often, but I'd say like the pattern has been like one in the one in the winter over a weekend and one in the summer over a week. And did that used to be like your main gig, like doing camp ministry? I wouldn't call it my main gig, but, um, I've, I have literally led worship at probably like 50 camps. I mean, it's gotten your 10,000 hours easily. Oh yeah. I've got the 10,000 hours. Did you read range? No. What's range. Okay. A book, uh, that is about, it has, has a lot to do with that 10,000 hours kind of becoming a, an expert on something. And it, it talks a lot about like, human tendencies and how you actually become an expert and how it's different than what a lot of people say it is. So good book. Right. Recommendation. So it's kind of 
is it kind of refuting what Malcolm Gladwell says in the book Outliers, which I think Outliers is a fantastic book. It is one of my top 10 favorite books of all time. Um, and that's the 10, that's the book where he puts out the 10,000 hours theory. Mm. What, well, okay. So it's not, it, it's kind of refuting it. What it's talking about is it's not refuting it as much, but it's more just kind of, I guess, defining it. What it talks about is, is um, here's an example. They have a um, uh, people who go um, and do a trial um, to basically test uh, their ability to recall information. So they give they give uh, uh, three sets of people a list of words that they have to memorize. Some of them, uh, if they click a mouse button, they can get a hint for the words that they need to recall. So during their testing, they can actually, if they forgot one, they can just click a button and boom, they get the hint. The next group, um, you know, is given less hints. And then the last group is given no hints. Okay. And then they test them at the end of it. And they, they basically come to find out, hey, um, the people who were given the most hints actually can recall the most, uh, the most information. That makes sense. That's intuitive. Obviously, right? But then they go two months later and they go, hey, recall those inf that information again. And the people who had to work for the information by far blasted away all of the people who were given hints. So like basically the, pre the premise is that if you have to work to attain information, if you have to actually put, put in hard work to get that information, that it sinks deeper into your uh, recall than if you were given hints. And, and you, may, you may do well on a test today if you were studying for it today, but th what you're gonna take for the long term, the range, is going to be the people who worked for the information. This is fascinating. I love this stuff. Um, and I want to ask you a question because I listen to a lot of podcasts. That's probably not going to surprise anybody, but a podcast I really like is a podcast, um, songwriters on writing. And it's a podcast where this guy who was a PhD in literature interviews songwriters, not about music, not about like band drama, like the intros, like, I don't care about touring. I don't care about shows. I just care about the craft of writing and mm. I treat songwriters like writers. Um, and a question he asks, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the COVID. The question he asks almost every person is, how do you write songs? Do you write songs on a laptop or do you write them on a notebook? Mm. And it's interesting to hear the, the laptop songs turn out to be the faster songs and oh. the ones that they're like, man, so, you know, John Mayer, I don't know if he was on the podcast, but he talks about writing one song and he's like, the universe gave it to me in 10 minutes and I wrote it on my laptop. But there are some songs he's worked on for years and he keeps going back to that notebook. And so that, Michael, when you write a song, when you're writing a worship song, let's take Constant, for example, which is a song Coastline knows and loves, and it's a great worship song, one of my favorites, honestly. And you're writing Constant. Where did that start? Is that a laptop song? Is that a notebook song? And can you, as the songwriter, tell the difference between a laptop song and a notebook song? Dude, how fascinating. That is that is a fascinating, yeah, because I have both of those. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I, I, I have songs that, have been ruminating in a notebook for years. And I've got songs that the laptop becomes like uh, a means for just kind of quickly getting it done. Um, right. Constant was a laptop song, but it was, it was a song. Well, let's call it, it was kind of hybrid. It started as a, um, as a notebook song that Tavia had been working on. And then shout out uh, Tavia. 
haven't then, mentioned Tavia, I think, ever on the Coastline Covenant podcast. Yeah, so Tavia was, if you don't know her, she worked with us, and she's a great worship leader, a great friend. Um, but uh, she she started writing the song in a notebook and then brought it to me, and then we, like, zipped it into, into a computer laptop situation, and then it got it got finished very quickly after that. But um, it, it was one that she was ruminating on for maybe, like, a couple, like, a month or two before in a notebook. So I, yeah, I find that I totally get what you're saying that, that the, the songs that end up on your laptop are ones that are more just, you just get it done. And it's, it, the laptop is like a, a placeholder for a moment versus right. uh, the ones that are in a notebook. They, 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 you might ruminate on it for a couple of years before it actually gets done. Awake yeah. was, uh, was a notebook song that was with me for about three. Actually, I'm going to talk about awake. Um, on our podcast today oh spoilers I love a little it. behind the scenes but yeah. Um, yeah that one was a notebook song that had been sitting with me for a couple years before we actually got it done it's interesting I think there's a little bit more distance between the song you write and the song that you hear with the notebook and I think on the laptop like you mentioned with constant you probably put it in the laptop and the version that you put in the laptop is pretty similar to the version that we hear on a Sunday or you can hear on Spotify because you cap you try to capture everything about the moment on the laptop whereas the the notebook you're just trying to capture words in an idea which is yeah. fascinating and really interesting and has nothing to do with what we're talking about today so, <laughs> um, i asked nikki about friends i asked rochelle about streaming services michael we talk about songwriting craft and how it pertains to the means and, and the mode that we actually write it down but anyway we are um deep into our series it changed my life this sunday i actually have the honor of preaching uh i'm really excited about it and i hope i can make it physically if not you'll be just do a zoom call with everybody on sunday from wow. my office here at my house um but today michael <laughs> i'm super excited to talk to you about the passage or passages that changed your life uh, and so, Michael, I'll ask you the question. I'll have you read it for us, and then we'll we'll dive a little deep into this, the passage. And I think you already spoiled a little bit. We're going to hear about some worship songs that we know and love that you've written. But, Michael, what is the passage or passages that have changed your life? Yeah. <clears throat> so for me, um, I, mine probably, I don't know, maybe unfortunately is probably going to be the longest of all of our passages. Mm-hmm because it's an entire chapter right, and right. it is Psalm 139. Mm -hmm. um, Psalm 139, um, you can't just take one portion out of it. It's, it, is, it is a picture as a whole that um, changed my life. And yeah. so um, it's the whole of it. And, and even the way that uh, it's written as a song that uh, I think has changed my life. Um, so yeah, Psalm 139. That's where we're going. All right, let's hear it, baby. All right. It's all, bear with me. Here it comes. Hey, <laughs> listeners, you're on a theology church Christian podcast. We sometimes we read the Bible. You're you're okay with 24 <laughs> verses, I promise. It's an entire chapter. It's okay, here we go. 24 verses. All right, here we go. Um, so uh Psalm 139 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. Verse one. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me thou knowest my down sitting and mine upper hold on no i was we're not doing the king just, james just about to say hey man hold on reading, reading <clears throat> over there? i'm sorry i don't know if we can cut that out but here we go we won't we won't cut it out 
Hey, if you see Michael on Sunday, make sure you give him a King James Bible. He loves it. <laughs> no, no. I was using the King James to kind of just like see how some of the wording was different. And that's why it was there. But anyway, yeah. okay, let's get to the ESV. Um, <laughs> so here we go. To the choir master, a Psalm of David. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day. For the darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You needed me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. <clears throat> in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when I was yet there was none of them. When, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, there are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's not that long, Michael. That felt long. <laughs> there are some longer ones. Um. Okay, so what initially made this psalm resonate for you? Well, um, so this this psalm, my my history with this psalm actually goes back to high school for me. Um, I came from a non-Christian home. Um, uh, the Barkers are a brawler family. Uh, they're very big people, and they're very loving to their own. But you don't want to get in the way of of, of the Barkers. They're very big. <laughs> I'm, I am like a very small Barker actually. Um, and not only are they big, but they're, there's just lots of stories of, you know, bar fights and late nights. That's, that's kind of a part of the Barker history. And so my bio dad was, um, a drug addict and an alcoholic. And when I was four years old, my dad left. We didn't know where he had gone. Um, he just, just left. Um, my parents were already divorced at that point, but he was seeing me every other weekend uh, for, you know, visitation. And I'd go see him. Um, but 
he just he just left. My mom didn't know where he'd gone. All child support had stopped and he was gone. Come to find out he was in Arizona um, with my older brother and sister living near them and just living off the grid with them. But, um, you know, I, I for that for those four for, from when I was four to seven, he was gone or four to eight. And <clears throat> I would go see his sister, my aunt Vicky, every other weekend in replacement of going to see him. And so I was still connected with the family, just did not know where he was or what he was doing. And he did not come and visit. He was just gone. Um, they knew where he was. I didn't know. Um, and then, so yeah, my dad popped back in when I was seven with a new wife and a new kid. And, um, and I, and then I was right back to seeing him every other weekend until I was 15 from seven to 15. And so what that did in me to have my, my dad who, who, you know, I, even as a young kid, no matter if he was a drug addict and alcoholic and deadbeat as a young kid, as a young son, you still look at your dad as like everything, you know, I mean, he's, he's your hero. He's everything to you as a young four, four to seven year old. And so where I internalized that as a young kid was in a place of, man, like I need to be good because my dad, um, you know, maybe he'll stay this time if I'm really good. Maybe if I'm a good kid and I just do the right things, then, then my dad will stick around and he won't leave me for years on end, you know? And so there's a lot of people pleasing that came up in me as a young child with the fact that my dad was just missing for years, my hero, you know, and you, and I, and I internalized that as something I should have done differently or, or a way that I should have been different in order to keep him around. So there was an anxiety in there with the authority figures in my life that just said, you know, don't rock the boat. Don't be a bad kid, you know, please your authorities. And so this is where, um, you know, Psalm 139 comes in for me. Um, you know, I was destined to go a different direction than the direction that I went. Um, and before I ever studied a chapter in this book, um, on a simply like surface high school reading level of Psalm 139, what Psalm 139 meant for me was I'm made intentionally by God. I matter to him. He knows everything about me. And he turns my failure and my darkness into his light, into success in him. And so no matter how uh, bad of a kid I might be, um, no matter how unwanted I might feel by my, by my dad, um, there is a father who there's nowhere I can flee from his presence. There's nowhere I can go uh, where he's not going to be. Um, and he turns all of the badness in me into something good for his, for his glory. Wow. So, so yeah, so that was, that was my first kind of, uh, interaction with Psalm 139 in high school. So you read this in high school and it repainted your childhood experience. Yeah. It just meant, it meant, yeah, God's near to me. He loves me. He's with me. And he's a father that, uh, even at the uttermost parts of the sea, he's going to be there. So um, it was it was my heavenly father becoming more of a father to me than my earthly father. Wow, man, that's really, really, really powerful. Um, 
I will admit I had assumptions when you brought this verse because I think the end, uh, 23 and 24, it's kind of like the spiritual formation verse. Um, it's like the ISF, Institute of Spiritual Formation at Talbot. You know, this is kind of their cry. And so when you got to Talbot and this was the verse or you heard this verse a lot, was that like pretty confirming to you? You had said like, I could have gone a different path. I should have gone a different path, but I didn't. And then you see this verse. What happens to you then when you're like, oh my gosh, that like Rochelle and I talked about last week, how these verses kind of haunt us. They just kind of pop up when we don't expect them. What was it yeah. like for you stepping into ISF and you're like, oh my gosh, this verse that's mattered so much to me is still going to matter so much to me, but just in a different way. Just changed my life. I mean, it's like, yeah. it was just, it, you're, you're totally right. Like, um, actually, I didn't even think of that until you said it, like just how haunting that verse, ha this passage has been for me in a good way. Um, but yeah, it, I think when I re kind of dove into it with this new um, spiritual formation lens, um, it just brought the, the whole passage to life in a new way. It felt like rediscovering um, something that was already really important to me in a even more important way, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it, a lot of my, yeah, Psalm 139 is really important within uh the the curriculum at Talbot for spiritual yeah. formation and it's also so, really important in your past and your future yes yeah, yes that's really cool yeah. I, I I love that I just love how even I can have an assumption as to why you pick a verse and you completely don't you know go into my assumptions which is fine but like <laughs> I, can, I can be honest and present those to you You're like oh I never thought about that like that's just the cool thing about these passages how they're so dynamic and they cover so much ground in our life. Like, oh, I can't, I, I never thought about it, but I do see it that way. That, that's really interesting. Well, this is where I feel, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of people will say, um, man, I don't want to hear a sermon on that passage, like John 3, 16, because man, I've heard that a thousand times. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. boring. Why are you pre preaching on that one? And man, like I have found that verse, you know, sections of scripture, like Psalm 139, there's a new life to it in every season. You know, you there's a season for me in high school where this was my life, my lifeblood, this, this passage just meant so much to me, you know, um, uh, me being a, a musician and it being a Psalm of David, it being a song in and of itself, me feeling like I relate to David, you know, um, as the runt of my, of my friends and family, you know, just feeling the small like a barker you are the small barker that I am. Yeah. Like I'm not muscular. I'm not warlike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fighter, you know, that's not me. Um, but I feel like I didn't even choose to be a leader. Like I was forced into leadership, you know, and I think of David being this little shepherd who, you know, he's just doing his thing out in the fields and Hey, Hey bro, come on over. We've got a giant for you to slay. Like you didn't choose this. You didn't want this. You're just a little musician, a little musician, shepherd boy. But, but man, like I've got a big task for you and it's above your head. It's above your pay grade but you need to go do this. You know, I I've related a lot with David. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, there are so many similarities that you just brought up. Um, okay. So I have, I have a different question for you now. So yeah. verses 19 through 22 takes a little bit of a turn. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? Oh Lord. And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. How has this particular part of Psalm 139 ministered to you over the years? Yeah, so, 
Okay, that's a great question because when I first read that in high school, without any like theological understanding or you know spiritual formation bent, I just skipped over that part. Yeah, I mean, we all do. <laughs> Those hard parts of the Bible were like, ah, that maybe someone added that later. I'm not going to engage. Yeah, to me it was read verses one through eighteen. Then just kind of like, what's this weird part from on 19 through, you know, 22, like, meh, whatever. Okay, let's get to 23 and 24, because those are pretty cool. Yeah. The pastor's That's... like, well, the context of this is too complex, so we're just going to skip this. And look how sweet it ends. Look how nice it ends. Right, right. Yeah. So that was my first, my, that's how I interacted with that portion at first. Um, now, going through a little bit more theological training and looking into the verse or the passage as a whole, seeing the context of it as a whole, I, I mean, it has changed my prayer life more than any, more than anything. I mean, it's, um, I, I am a, a different type of praying man because of this, because of Psalm 139. Um, the way I talk with God completely has changed. Um, and so, you know, I kind of mentioned those pleasing tendencies in me to want to please the authorities above me. Um, so when you look at Psalm 139, I would put it in four sections. One is verses one through six, which is very high level, just kind of um, God is awesome. We acknowledge his nearness, that he knows all things, just on a very high level. Then seven through 18 is um, kind of a deeper acknowledgement of God's omnipresence. Almost even, I would say, you might even read it with like a, kind of a, um, a tone of, I wish I could get away from you, but I can't like, it's interesting when That's you read it in from seven to 18, it, it starts to feel like David's like, he's almost like telling himself, okay, I really can't get away from God. Like I really can't, I'm trying to, even if I go to the, go to Sheol or the uttermost parts of the sea, I can't get away. Um, like, it's almost like he's telling him, he's kind of like, convincing himself that, all right, it's safe to just be honest with God about my real prayer in verse 19, because man, I'm, I'm, I'm acknowledging that Lord, I, I can't do it. Even if I want to get away from you, I can't. So like, here's, here's my real prayer. So verse 19 to me has actually, it's, it's a model of what it looks like to pray an honest, real prayer to God. He works himself up all the way to that point. And then 19 comes and he says the real thing. God, would you slay the bloodthirsty men? Should I not hate them or abhor them? Um, they, you know, uh, per, shouldn't they be persecuted? I mean, it's, it's just, this is, this is what David really wanted to tell God all along, <laughs> but, but felt like he couldn't because, you know, platitudes and pleasing, you know, because God's God and, I need to be careful what I say to him because I should be reverent. Um, so I almost look at this as like uh, the real part of Psalm 139. Like this is where David's telling God the real thing. I, I need you to kill these people who are coming after me. Hmm. That's cool. Again, such a good perspective on that. Like that part of the Psalm we want to skip over. And I think that that translates to our prayer life. Like we want to skip over being vulnerable sometimes with God or real. And we see David right here, right? Saying, hey, this is actually what I want. 
you know, the reason I want to flee from you is because of the consequences of my actions. Can you just take those away? And then how it ends, you know, why don't you actually, God, go in and tell me what I need? Why don't you go and, and expose those things in me? Man, what a great, great Psalm. I think this is probably one of the most, I wouldn't say famous, but I would say that this is the Psalm that I think a lot of people point to as kind of like, this is, this is as high as it gets in terms of artistry and theology and poetic beauty also with like dense doctrinal, like, you know, theology of God's omnipresence and kind of a, you know, divine violence in there a little bit too. So this is, this is cool. This is a really, really powerful passage. Um, Thank you for sharing all that, Michael. I really appreciate it. Um, I have one question to kind of close out. You said that this passage helped you in the midst of your childhood with a dad who wasn't necessarily around a lot. It was, it it was kind of hit or miss. It was really difficult. Um, You're a dad, you have three kids. How does this psalm impact your parenting life? How does this psalm impact you as a father? Well, <clears throat> I mean, from a theological standpoint, like, I mean, you've got that I'm I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and knit together in my mother's womb. So just from a, t- a high level perspective, like th- my kids aren't mine. They're God's. He knit them together. They, he, you know, he's the one who formed them in Caitlin. And um, so, you know, you start there just by saying like, these kids are gods to, for me to, for me to steward and for me to love well, because they're his and he's, he's gifted them to me. Um, but I think also like, I just think like, I, my, my hope in prayer is that my kids will be this honest with me, that as I want to be this honest with God and really tell him the real things that are in me that are ugly and that I don't even want to admit to myself. My hope is that my kids will, um, that I will create a space for them to be honest with me in that same, very same way that they will feel so loved and so knit together and cared for. And like, there's nowhere they can go from the omnipresence of Michael. (laughs) Um, so much so that they know I'm, I'm with them no matter what they do. And, and when I say with them, I don't mean like in some weird, like big brother way. I mean it in a way of like, like if they fail, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. I love you. I care for you. You're mine. Um, so much so that they feel like they could be that honest with me. So that's, that's what I'm hoping for. That's how I hope this, this verse leads me to parent well. It doesn't in, imply that you need to be a helicopter parent. <laughs> right? No. Parent in a different way. Okay, so uh, we teased a little bit about Awake and how this psalm influenced that song. So tell us that story. Tell us a little bit about how Psalm 139 influenced a worship song that we all have heard. And if you haven't heard it, little plug, you can listen to it on Spotify. Right now, you could pause this podcast search the awake project on Spotify, listen to those songs and then hit play and come back. So I'll give you a second to do that. Okay. Isn't that such a great worship song? Michael, tell us about it. (laughs) So awake actually was written out of, um, out of a passage in Ephesians, the whole awake, O sleeper and rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you passage. Um, now that's where it was written. That's like the, the actual like text that it was written from. But the principles of 139, Psalm 139, were were in me as I was trying to write Awake. Um, 
as I was writing Awake, there was this part of me that just, I wanted to write a song that was more honest. I wanted to write a song that felt a little more like Psalm 139 in its, in its degree of honesty. You know, a lot of worship songs are very happy and they're very like ideal. It's very idealized. Like God is good. I'm going to love you. I'm going to run after you. I'm going to chase after you with all I've got. You know, you're all I'm living for. Um, but I wanted to write a song that was more like, Hey God, I need you. And I'm, I fail and, and more confessional, more here's, here's where I'm failing. Here's where I stink. Um, and so the song awake, if, you know, if you've heard it, or if you want to go listen to it, um, you know, it's, I've been selfish and afraid I've been defensive. I've pointed blame. I've had idols, you know, I've lived in shame. It's, it's, it's a, it's a confessional song about being honest with God. Um, and then finding, finding life and awakeness in him as we are honest with him. And so that song awake actually was birthed out of Psalm 139, probably just as much as it was out of that passage in Ephesians. So that's a little behind the scenes. I love that a little behind the music with Michael Barker. Well, Michael, I appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability here um, and leading us through the Psalm. My, my prayer and my hope is that people heard this and jumped back into the passage after they they're finished listening and found something in these 24 verses that really stuck out to them. And uh, man, this was such a blessing. I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you for powering through your, uh, your voice problems. Are you leading worship this Sunday? I'm supposed to be, man. I, I hope I get my voice back. Me too. Me too. I'm preaching. So, you know, it might be just the, uh, the quiet hour at coastline this week, but we hope to see you. Thank you for listening, Michael. Thank you for jumping on zoom with me. And yeah, enjoy this psalm and enjoy all the other passages. And we will see you next week and every single week after that. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Michael. And you might be thinking, well, Hunter, that's everybody. We have now heard or we will have heard from everybody on staff at Coastline about the passage that has changed their life. And you'd be right, but we have not heard from everybody because we want to hear from you. I'm opening up my email, hbabcock at coastline.family. Again, it's hbabcock at coastline.family. And I want to hear what passage changed your life. Shoot me an email with a paragraph, with a passage, with a story, any way that any scripture has changed your life, has impacted you, has influenced you, has changed you. And I'll read them on the podcast next week. If you want to call me and leave me a voicemail or send a voice memo to me, I would also play that on the podcast. I just want to hear people and I want to hear what passage has changed your life. So I would encourage you take a step of faith step out and be heard on the podcast email me hbabcock at coastline.family tell me which passage changed your life and why and we'll read it on the podcast next week send me a voicemail send me a voice memo all of those things we'll play it we'll have this episode next week be super interactive and super fun and i'm really really excited for what could happen so we will see you next week and we hopefully hear from you next week and every single week after that